0: listening to the work life flow podcast where we moms take the reins of our lives explore our options question the status quo and demand more from society here we come together to tell our stories and share tears of frustration as well as tears of joy but most importantly we come together to inspire you to create a work-life integration that works for you so pour yourself your favorite beverage and come hang out with us Welcome to Work-Life-Flow episode 14. What I want you to take away from this episode is that we as leaders have the responsibility to model the shifts we want to see in the work culture. We talk about how a positive shift in the company culture to accommodate working parents most definitely impacts everyone at the company positively and is great for the bottom line of the company. I'm beyond honored to share Debbie Yadegari's personal story and work with you today. A little bit about her. Prior to joining the esteemed ranks of motherhood, Debbie developed a distinguished legal career. She began her career as corporate associate in big law. She served as a counsel to the investment banking division of a leading international investment bank. And while practicing law, Debbie also offered pro bono legal assistance to the New York Legal Assistance Group. Debbie received her BA from Columbia University, where she double majored in economics and political science and her Juris Doctor from George Washington University. Debbie is a Certified Lactation Counselor with the Academy of Lactation Policy and Practice and lives on Long Island with her supportive husband and five children. Join me in welcoming Debbie Yadegari. Hi, Debbie. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you so much, Kirsten. That was some bio. (laughs)
1: Um, Thank you for the intro. I'm excited to speak all things work-life balance with you today.
0: Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here. So you're a recognized expert in all things working parenthood, evidently. Could you share a little bit the story of how Village came to life and what you're doing? Sure, absolutely.
1: So I started Village to give working parents what I needed at the very beginning of my journey to working parenthood. I found myself pregnant at an investment bank that was predominantly male And when I looked around me, I had very little support, so little support, in fact, that somebody within my legal department actually made the comment in passing and in jest that if I was ever to get pregnant, I would be killing my career there. And lo and behold, they ended up being right. The next week I announced my pregnancy. It was treated always as the elephant in the room. I went out on leave. There was not very much to do about it. Very little conversation about what my role would be when I came back. And when I returned to the office, I requested a more flexible work arrangement. At the time, I was working eight to eight. And with the commute, I would have needed to leave 7 7.30 in the morning and I would get home at 8.30 at night. Well, my daughter uh, would wake up at seven and go to bed at seven. So I would have not seen her had I maintained that schedule. In addition to there being a lack of flexibility for a new mom, there was a lack of support for working women who were breastfeeding in the office. It was something that just was not addressed. And as somebody who struggled initially with breastfeeding, it later became an issue that I wanted to address through my work with the village. So six months after the birth of my first child, I ended up walking away. And I ended up walking away from a career, from a job that I truly loved and a place where I saw myself growing long-term but like I said, I had never really given it much thought until that moment about what it would take to juggle parenthood with my professional life. And I think that many people are in those same shoes. And so when I walked away six months after the birth of my first baby, I recognized that I was one of 43% of working moms who walk away and One of 33% of, you know, I'm not a father, but 33% of working dads walk away too. And so studies show that when an employer offers zero support, they have an attrition rate as high as 43% collectively between working moms and working dads. And in turn, a company loses a lot of money when an employee walks away. It costs a lot to replace an employee. It costs upwards of 300% of that employee's salary. And at the same time, the employees who are walking away, they were like myself, many of them. You know, they were... Truly bummed that they had left so much on the table. And so there was an opportunity here. And I saw it as a win win opportunity to fix a broken system. And that's when I decided that I was going to do something different to change the system and provide a product and a service that would allow working parents to achieve both
0: their personal
1: as well as professional goals.
0: I totally agree with everything you said. Like, we lose so much talent by not giving them adjustments. And like you said, you were in a very male-dominant culture back then. My background is in academia, which is, it's kind of, it's mainly male-dominant if the higher the ranks are because there is this selection process. Women are very much penalized for having kids because those child-rearing years, they don't count on your when you get your evaluations and when you try to get higher up in the academic ranks. So the numbers are pretty much the same for women in academia in STEM fields um, where I'm from. So one question I have, your platform now, you work with both working parents, but also with companies, right? What do you do with them?
1: Absolutely. So we work directly with companies to support their working parents. So we are an employer paid benefit For employees. So, employers hire us, one, to create a parent friendly workplace to address some of those, you know, stodgy old cultures that are still sticking around, some of which that you just spoke about. And on that point, it's been interesting. I'm sure you know this stat, but during the pandemic here, you know, men within academia have published something like, you know, two or three times the amount that women have within academia. And we have to absolutely change the system, no matter the industry, to give working mothers the same time to excel personally as well as professionally and count more on the fathers and the males within our social networks to also step up to the plate at home so we can be on equal footing in the office. And so we work with employers in turn to support working moms and working dads in an attempt to level the playing field. And what we're seeing as time goes on is that working dads are struggling more and more. Initially when we started in 2013, we were dealing primarily with working moms. Working moms have been at this since, you know, the days of Rosie the Riveter, right? We we've had A couple of generations now upon which we can turn for role models, and we've always known it's hard. And we've been up late at night with our babies, and we're struggling to get dinner on the table, and we're still going to work. You know, it's that whole saying, you know, she brings home the bacon and fries it up in a pan. Like, that has been the stereotype of the working mom for so long. And the stereotype of the working dad for so long has been, he just brings home the bacon. But now things are changing with the millennial generation. And today's working father is also up at night handling Feedings and diaper changes, and going to work the next day just as bleary eyed as his female counterpart. So, employers are recognizing that they have a duty to get involved and support their working parents in a way that will both help out that working parent, whether it be mother or father personally, but also so that way to give them a leg up professionally, so that way they can be more productive and more motivated when they're in the office, which of course drives immense dividends for the employer.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think like you say, I don't know if it's the millennial generation, but in general, I think working fathers, they have gotten an appetite for being more present as a father and they're struggling to, like you say, like women had these role models and they already knew what was coming (laughs) towards them, but men were a little more they probably didn't have that role model. They Most of them might have had the working father, like you said, just bringing home the money. Yeah. And then here, I think too, there's a lot of work culture about clocking in a lot of hours instead of working more focused and in your sweet spot, right? Because that is something that could most definitely help productivity.
1: Absolutely. There's a focus on time in the seat rather than Objective, you know, work criterion. Absolutely, and we have to change that because I mean, ask any working parent, and they can tell you how much they can accomplish in you know four hours. They can accomplish a lot. We're experts at multitasking and do, just fitting so much in, even more so than what you might accomplish in an eight-hour workday if you had nothing else on your plate except for that one assignment. You know, it's like, it goes back to that old saying where if you want something done right, give it to a busy person. And working moms and now. Now, thankfully, working dads are joining us in that journey, are so busy. We are so, so, so busy. And today's working father doesn't, when they're looking up at their managers and the generation that came right before them, oftentimes the managers and the generation that came right before them, they don't understand the plight of today's working dad. So it's a new conversation that we're having. We've always had the conversation around working motherhood, but it's nice to include uh, working dads in the conversation today.
0: Can you tell us about some of the accommodations or some of the benefits that changed in in companies you worked with? Like, can you contrast before and after maybe? Sure.
1: Well, um, the easiest one is lactation, right? So we've worked with many companies that have had nothing to start. And I won't name the clients, but several clients that, you know, kind of pointed towards a bathroom for their employees to go when that employee needed to express their milk during the workday. Completely, completely, completely illegal. Employers do not do that. I remember one employer coming to us and they were so proud. They had done an entire new build out and they put these amazing chairs for moms to pump and be all comfortable. And they were so proud of their architectural layout. But the space was within the bathroom. On every single floor, they built the lactation space into the bathroom. So that was not a great conversation. And so we've had to work with employers on how to become compliant under not just the federal law, but within state law and, you know, within local jurisdictions, the laws are different everywhere and they vary, you know, little nuances that employers sometimes don't think about, such as whether or not you need to be close to running water or electricity or need to provide a microwave for steam sanitation. The rules differ state to state and locality to locality. So you can take an employer that has just abysmal conditions for a breastfeeding mother, and we've come in and built out beautiful lactation suites and brought that employer up to speed. We've also worked with companies that have had uh, terrible retention rates because they just... Like my own personal experience, it was an issue that just wasn't addressed when people were going out on leave or returning to leave. It was just kind of like me. It was just kind of that elephant in the room. And so we've helped companies to implement policies to off-ramp and then bring someone back to the table after their return in a way that is uplifting to the employee and satisfying to the manager as well. So we help them to just rework that experience going out on leave so it can become win-win on both sides. And we've offered one-on-one support to many, many working parents that have been able to get them over the hump and through sticky situations. We've helped them to navigate difficult conversations with their managers, with their bosses. We've helped them to get out of sticky situations at home, dealing with co-parenting issues or tween and teen issues. Our sleep experts have people sleeping a lot longer. And we know when employees are happier, when they're more well-rested, they're more productive, they're happier in the office. And that in turn, Drives profits. A happier employee has an increase of productivity up to 12 to 15%, experts have calculated. And in turn, uh, when an employee is not focused and is distracted, Economists have measured the cost of the employer to be as much as 34 cents on the dollar. So our coaches come in and they work with employees to address those distractions and to help the employee gain momentum. And so we've seen drastic increases in just personal productivity and the way people are self-rating themselves at the end-of-year reviews, the way their managers are reviewing working parents. We've helped companies set up objective criterion on how to, especially in today's landscape of work from home uh, with kids in the background, with dealing with remote learning, how to set up standards so that way. We have objective criteria to rate employees, and so that it becomes more fair. So, Village has helped many companies in many different ways. But at the end of the day, it's all about just building a more parent friendly system and supporting working parents through the trials and tribulations, both at home and in the office.
0: Yeah, what I hear is that they have really, really touched on various topics.
1: Everything, everything. We do
0: everything,
1: absolutely. I mean, we ship breast milk for working parents that are traveling or mothers who are traveling. We set people up with one-on-one coaching. We set managers up with coaches so that way they can get through the trials and tribulations that they're experiencing as managing working parents. We're there to offer 360 degree holistic support on both sides of the aisle, on the employee side and the employer side.
0: Mm -hmm. And I can see... It ripples. It's not only like all the changes that you're bringing and the change of mindset and the change of culture, it's not only for working parents, right? There are other people who have obligations towards maybe their parents. Or So I think the change, the shift in culture is probably it ripples through and it benefits everybody in the company.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's not just those who are caretakers. It's, you know, if you're a marathon runner and have commitments, you know, whether they be to somebody that you are responsible for or not, maybe it's just your own personal needs. Setting up a system that allows people to hone in on who they are, whether that's a caregiver or somebody who has a passion that requires a lot of time out of the office is positive for everybody. And it creates a culture of support. So initially, when we first started, employers were worried about taking on this benefit that supported only a portion of their population. You know, they were saying, well, how can we give this to only 50% of our employees? And what employers now recognize is that by supporting those 50% of their workforce, in turn, they're supporting 100% of their workforce. Because at any company Our work is intertwined and we work together as teams. And if any team is only as strong as its weakest link. So if we're able to lift up that person who is not sleeping well or suffering at home or struggling in in a certain arena and allow them to bring their full self to the table to help out the team, that's going to boost everybody. That's going to boost company profits. That's going to, in turn, boost our individual wallets. We're in it together. And it is absolutely all about changing the culture.
0: And I think also like work life, it's not so separated as we try to, we really try to compartmentalize it so much, but we are human beings and we can't like (laughs) our life will always seep into our work and our work will always seep a little bit into our life. So my next question is, what does work life integration mean for you? And have you found a balance that works for you and your family?
1: Yeah. Great question. uh, Have I found a balance? I always say I'm not a tightrope walker. I don't know how to balance. And it is absolutely about integration. And like you said, you can't compartmentalize your brain. It's just impossible. I think maybe once upon a time when we didn't have smartphones and we just went to the office and we had just, you know, a desk phone to call home, Maybe there was a little bit of separation, but in today's world, we are checking our work emails when we're off the clock, and we are still texting with our children and our caregivers when we are on the clock. And so we have to be very good about drawing our personal limits. For me personally, that means at 6 o'clock on the dot, I have to check out. I live where I work. I work where I live, like most of us these days. But everybody on my team, everybody knows that 6 o'clock, my joke is I turn into a pumpkin and I've got to go. And that's when I go to have dinner with my kids and spend time with them in the evening, even... If it means I get back online after they go to bed or after they're reading or doing whatever they have to do in the evening. I have older children, as you mentioned, as well as younger children. So eventually the little ones will be in bed. The older ones will be doing whatever they're doing, whatever teenagers do these days. And I might get back online, but it's setting those limits for yourself. And it's also about role modeling. You know, I'm very good about telling my team And it's also role modeling for myself and for my children, my limits. So I'm very vocal when I say, oh, I can't make a meeting because I have to go do this, that, or the other thing with a child or for a child, whether it be a doctor appointment or a school event. Because I want to encourage my team members to do the same. And I think it's also okay to admit that we work 24 seven. You know, I was joking with a new hire at my company recently when she was asking about the hours, you know, things are a little bit strange now with the remote world. And I was joking that I said, we work 24 seven. I said, but within that model, you have to find what's right for you and never be embarrassed and never hesitate to tell us what your needs are and to draw your own boundaries. So if it is best for you to work at nap time for your kids or after your kids go to sleep, you know, maybe you're working work hours are 2 a.m. to 8 a.m. If you're not client facing and need to be there during work hours for us as a team and for me personally, how I assess myself is how much am I accomplishing and is a good work. And I make sure to work that around my family needs and priorities. So I set goals and I make sure that those goals are accomplished, whether it is, you know, a one-on-one lunch with a child or a time set aside for my partner. Or even just going for a walk around the block, you know, three times a week with a girlfriend who lives in my neighborhood. It's very important to carve those things out. My children know that if they get on my calendar, then that time is sacrosanct. So we use technology and we send each other calendar notices. And they'll just send me one and I accept it. And that means I cut out my day and I go and I talk with them about whatever topic they need to discuss at that time. It sounds a little bit cold that way. It's just that now that we're working from home, they never know when they can come into my office when I'm on a call. So we have to set aside time so that way we can connect during work hours or off work hours when we are working in these days, you know, what absolutely feels like 24 seven.
0: Yes, it is. <laughs> My next question was going to be that, like, if the process has evolved and what changes you made during the pandemic. So generally, the things that work for you is setting boundaries. I hear or heard you say, work smart, not hard. I think I heard you say, right? Like, is the quality of the work that I'm producing good enough, rather than how many hours have I worked? And did I accomplish what I wanted to accomplish? And then I don't know if I set the shared calendar already. <laughs> So were there any major changes that you made during the pandemic? Did you lose, like, I don't know, for us, for example, we are homeschoolers. So we had a a Monday school group and that shut down. So we suddenly had the kids 24-7 at home. Did you have any changes?
1: You know, we have a remote team. We always have been in the remote workspace. So in that regard, it didn't change for me. But what changed was everybody came in on me. So Everybody was at home now. My kids were learning from home. My husband was working from home. So even though I was accustomed to remote work, I was not accustomed to sharing my space with everybody. And as you said on the outset, I have five kids and a dog. So it's quite a full house these days. And so I absolutely had to Set policies, like personal policies, around my work from home remote status in a way that I didn't have to before. And that included setting aside those break times during the day to be there for my kids and really honing in to my gut. So, asking myself, you know, when it felt right to take time off during the day and check in on my kids, or when I needed to give a little bit more to my husband. We can't do it all perfect all of the time. We can't give 100% to all of our children at the same time. And it's never going to be even. We have to kind of like hone in on our gut and figure out, you know, where our attention is best spent at that moment, you know, whether that be, you know, a need at home or a need in the office. And I think I've gotten better with that over time. So that has absolutely changed. And I think I've allowed myself to be more of a role model in that regard to my children as well, because my children need to set boundaries for themselves. My 13-year-old son sent to me the other night, he said, I've been in this room now for, you know." countless months, six hours a day, and he said, you know, I'm I'm going crazy. And so we were able to have a a conversation about what I do, how I handle sitting at a desk all day long, and things that he can work into his schedule. So, you know, we never thought we would have to talk about work-life balance with, you know, children and teenagers before this pandemic. So in that way, things have changed around here too. So I would say the biggest thing is just proceduralizing everything and really normalizing the experience of what we're going through.
0: So with everybody home now, does your family, your husband and kids, or maybe even extended family, do they play a role in making work-life flow possible for you? Oh
1: absolutely. Absolutely. We're all about um, you know, my family last name is Yadagari. The joke around here is Team Yadagari. We're Team Yadagari. I count on my kids a lot for, to help out with housework, to help out with chores. And my husband is incredibly supportive. We are absolutely a team. And we weren't always like that. You know, as like every marriage, you have your ups and your downs of, you know, we had our fights once upon a time over who would do the dishes, but we have a flow now. It's, like it's a well-oiled machine and everybody helps out and that is absolutely key and it's also key to give your kids those tools because those are things that are going to set them up for success right and no matter how successful we are individually at the end of the day it's going to always be about how successful we our kids end up and how how successful they are because of the tools that we've given them we don't want to enable our children we want to boost them up
0: yes i always say that being a parent is the hardest leadership position you can have because you have to be the role model. You have to be the one. Like you said, I see my family as a team as well. And my kids are younger. They are four and a half and seven and a half now. But yeah, they pitch in where they can and and they see direct correlation, right? If they don't help out, they have to wait longer until I can help them when they need me. So like you said, I also have a boy and a girl, which you with five kids probably have boys and girls. Yes. <laughs> and so I make it a point to show them. I mean, if I cannot show them that I can work and have a family and feel happy about it, you know, live a great life, then how will my daughter see that, you know, how will she ever think she could achieve that? Or the same, my son, he sees an equal parent, like my my husband is sharing everything. So we co-parent pretty well distributed. And so I think it is really important to give them, to live the things we want to have them, or we want to show them to be able to achieve.
1: Absolutely. On that, yeah. Even, um, before everybody was working remotely and, you know, we saw children in the background on Zooms and, you know, now that's become normal. But before all of that was normalized, like I said, our team has always worked remote. So I had the, you know, it's afforded me the option of being able to pick up my children from school and do things during the day. As I said earlier, I work 24 seven, but, you know, it's not always between the hours. You know, I don't get my work done between nine and five. And so one day I picked up my son in school and I was, oh, oh, I was on a work call and it was carrying over and, you know, I took it on my cell phone. I was in the car, I was driving and I gave him a furious look, you know, making the face with my finger. And I was like, you know, giving him the look like you're getting in the car. I'm on a work call. Like, don't say anything. Pretend you're not here. He got it. And then we drove home and then I hung up and he looked at me and he said, mom, you're the CEO of village. If you can't set the tone for being able to multitask and take a work call by picking up your child, what can you expect for everybody else out there in corporate America? And I, he floored me with his comment because this was the old boy. And not only was it profound what he said, it was so true, but it also meant that he had absorbed the lessons that I had been putting out there. And I was so proud of him in that moment. And that was a great lesson to me in leadership. And ever since then, I've made it a point to speak up when I have to get off the phone to do something for a child or to, you know, allow my child to come into the room when I'm on Zoom and, you know, check their homework quickly as they go away. Because he's right. If our leaders aren't doing it, how can our employees?
0: Yes. It's about permission too, right? We have to model. Otherwise, the permission is not given.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree 100%.
0: I thought it was interesting to watch From the onset of the pandemic, like you said, kids interrupting Zoom meetings, parents felt really bad about this. And now I think people have gotten used to it and they're like, well, this is the situation they live in right now. We can't really, you know, I mean, there was even a thread for people who don't have kids in the home anymore or never had kids. There was even a a thread on LinkedIn about co-working pets. (laughs) So I think it it has gotten a little more accepted that, you know, you can't shove your kids completely out of the way all the time. Absolutely.
1: Right. No, no, you can't. It's interesting, though, you know, there are still, I think, overall, most people in the workplace are accepting, but there are still those who are calling for a return to the office. And that, uh, you know, naysayers who are saying we're less productive. I argue the opposite. I say that we're, more productive, and we're able to accomplish so much when we have that freedom. And any, uh, you know, anything that we're experiencing in shortcomings right now is more reflection on the economy rather than. A loss of productivity due to the flexibility. Now, that's notwithstanding kids, people, families who have kids at home and not in school, and that are you know have no access to childcare. Clearly, if you have you know kids at home and you're handling remote learning and you have limited childcare, you're not going to be as productive. But if we were able to keep this model in a post pandemic world, I argue we would increase happiness and we would increase productivity.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I, I so agree. Because when we feel better, we show up better, right? And so I train in emotional intelligence. So what I do is I bring not only assessments, but also training to companies or to individuals who would like to increase their emotional intelligence. And research has shown, like you said, everything about when you feel better at work, you are much more productive, um, there's less turnover, there's more ROI for the company. And, and there's actually ways to calculate that in terms of money, which is really interesting that it's, it's such a soft skill, but you can actually put even money on it. But yeah, back to the pandemic, like you said, we have gotten the glimpse again into how intertwined work and life is And I talk to my clients about how important it is to get those adjustments around meeting times with distance learning, for example, right now, or remote working beyond the pandemic, the flexible hours, etc. And so you have a very strong opinion about that it's actually an employer's not only role, but a duty to enable working parents, right?
1: I do. And that's because employers expect employees to be there around the clock. There's no such thing as clocking out anymore. And if as employers you're expecting somebody to pick up an email or respond to a text at 7 a.m., I mean, 7 p.m., then in turn, you need to expect that they're going to be addressing their home responsibilities during the workday as well. So not only is it just ethically the right thing to do, that if you're, it's tit for tat, right? If you're gonna expect an employee to always be there, In turn, you have to expect that employee to always be a parent. It's only fair. But in turn, there's a financial incentive there for the employer. It's going to increase their bottom line. At Village, we've been able to show that we save the average client $3 million a year simply by implementing our programs. And it's $3 million in cost savings. It's lowered healthcare costs. It's increased retention rates. It's increased productivity. It's increased happiness. It's increased motivation. It's all of those soft factors that come together to move the bottom line. And so employers absolutely have to recognize that they have a role in working parenthood.
0: It's amazing. $3 million in spending... Wow. it must be incentive enough.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's larger for the company because, you know, what that comes at is if you take the average company of, let's say, a thousand employees, right? And you have without support, we know, as we said earlier, over 40 percent of employees are going to leave their employer post baby. And if you take those salaries and if you average it out and even look at, you know, just take a salary of seventy five thousand and assume it's going to cost upwards of 200 to 300% of that person's salary to replace them, which is what HR circles have estimated. And you take that, so you take 40%, you know, the $75,000 per employee post loss, and it gets up there to three million dollars, and it gets even greater once you couple in the healthcare savings. Um, every dollar that's spent on lactation programs returns to the company three dollars. There's a three hundred percent ROI calculated by the American Academy of Pediatrics, and so employers really have to take note. And of course, it's you know the ROI is going to be different at every employer. But like I said, the three million stat is just on an employer of one thousand employees. You know, if you talk to an employer about their overall attrition costs, it's always in the millions every year. And that's where we can truly make a difference. And not just for working parents, but for caregivers and for all people who are looking for that work-life integration that we're talking about here.
0: Yes. Yes, absolutely. Do you have any advice for people who feel stuck and who don't really know how to start that conversation with their employer?
1: you have to know what conversation you want to have and what your goals are, what you're trying to accomplish and work backwards. And if you're trying to, so number one, you have to have a clear goal. And number two, you have to look at it through the eyes of the stakeholder. So for instance, you know, if you want to keep up, your remote work arrangement post pandemic, and you're not sure how to have that conversation. So your goal is to maybe, you know, three days from home and two days in the office. So if that is your goal, what is in it for your employer or your manager? And write a list. So maybe it's that you will have less of commute. Let's say you commute an hour each way every day. So for those three days that you stay home, that's six hours extra of productivity. So that's something that's in it for the employer. What else is in it for the employer? Are they paying for your parking? Are there certain perks that other ways that would in turn be cost savings for the employer? So set up the conversation in a way that will get to the yes by addressing the concerns of the stakeholder. Think about what they're worried about and what their fears are. You know. Why would your employer not want you to work at home for three days? Are they worried about you missing meetings? Is it possible that you know the two days in the office, you can make sure that those are the days that the meetings occur? What other ways can you address their potential concerns? So prepare all of that. And once you're prepared, you're going to go into the meeting a lot stronger. And if you put everything in terms of what's in it for your manager and the stakeholder, you're going to be a lot more successful.
0: Yes. And I think also when you prepare, you can go into the conversation with possibilities, not expecting a no, right? Because you are prepared, you have your arguments. And again, I think coming back to emotional intelligence, we have to see that our managers, they might even be going through something similar. And so, you know, I think having those open, authentic conversations is really important in the workplace. I think that was a great, tip for my listeners where can my listeners connect more with you and find out what you do and and maybe even hire you
1: oh thanks for asking uh we can be found at village.com that's village villyg com, and on all social media um our handle everywhere is village again v-i-l-l-y-g-e and thank you so much us,
0: yeah perfect i'll make sure to link everything in the show notes Thank you so much for coming on. This is super, super helpful for my listeners, I'm sure. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Work-Life Flow. As always, you can find all links and websites mentioned in the show notes. Make sure to get your copy of the four must-have checklists for kids, so you can sit back and relax while they are getting ready on their own at kerstinkirchsteiger.com. That is www.kerstinkirchsteiger.com. And remember, keep being brave and share your story.